anxiety. Try as we might, we still suffer from it from time to time. After all, we are human. So what is the antidote to anxiety? How do we get over it? How do we avoid it? Those are questions we hope to answer today here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. Join us. Our God transcends time. You know, with God, there's no future. There's no yesterday. He transcends time. With our God, everything is right now. Everything. If you believe that our God loves and cares, and you know the Bible says that He's omniscient, He knows everything. And if, if God knows your life and He knows your needs, and you know that He cares for you because that's what the Bible says, if He knows what your needs are and He cares for you, you know what? You're home free. Your Heavenly Father, in contrast to the other gods of the pagans, knows what you need. That's what Jesus is saying. He not only has the knowledge, but he has the resources and the love to provide your needs. So what are you worrying about? What do you have to worry about? Jesus' answer is nothing. Don't worry about anything. The ministry of Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City, this is Graceful Truth with our teacher and pastor, Steve Converse. Greetings and welcome to our broadcast. Over the past few Sundays, we've spent considerable amount of time dealing with anxiety and its antidote, at least according to God's Word. We would invite you to join us today as we continue our examination of this antidote to anxiety. Here now with today's broadcast of Graceful Truth, again from Grace Bible Church in Redwood City, our teacher and pastor once again. Here's Pastor Steve Converse. This anxiety, have this worry in their life is because of their father. Secondly, in verses 31 to 32, it says, because of our faith, because of our faith. In Matthew 6, verses 31 and 32, look at what it says. Therefore, do not worry. In other words, don't start worrying, saying what we shall eat what we shall drink, what we shall wear. Same three three things, he points out. Same three illustrations. In verse 32, he says, For after all these things the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. He brings up the Gentiles. What's he talking about here? Who are the Gentiles? The Gentile was basically, it can be translated, we don't like this word, it's not politically correct to use this word, but pagan or heathen. It basically means people who are without Christ. That's who a Gentile would be considered. And what he's saying is these people worry about this world. That's what they worry about because that's all they got going for them. You wonder why some of these rich guys, you know, are so worried about their legacy and everything because that's all they got. They don't have a mansion in heaven waiting for them because their faith is in something else other than the risen Lord. Their faith may be in their money. Their faith may be in their business. Their faith may be in all myriad of things, a false religion, whatever it may be. But their faith isn't in Christ. And so everything they got, they're getting right now. That's who a Gentile is. And they, they, they live for this present world. It's interesting when people who are outside of Christ, whether it's nations or peoples or whoever, they make up a God. Whenever they make up their own deity, inevitably, those deities are not the kind of deity that you would kind of like to cozy up to. Whenever nations of the world build their own god, they're typically gods of Satan and the demons behind those gods. 
And they're usually the gods of broken promises. The gods of lack, who lack compassion. The gods of fear. The gods of dread. The gods that have to be appeased. I mean, in the Old Testament, they had gods that they would actually sacrifice their babies to. Times <laughs> haven't changed much, have they? This country sacrifices millions of unborn children. When people make up their own God, they come up with a skewed view of who God is. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that we serve a loving Father who, who gave His only Son to die on a cross for us. If you're sitting there this morning saying, you know, I just don't get that. I, I don't, you know, I, that's fine. <laughs> that's all right. But at least investigate it. At least take it to the next level. At least look at your own life and see if there's sin in there. And if there is sin, what ultimately, how are you going to get rid of that sin? Because if, if you're considering at all the eternal life after this one, it's going to be in one of two places. It's either heaven or hell. And, and what determines the factor there is, is not how good you are or what kind of church you go to or anything like that. What determines the factor is what you did with God's Son, Jesus Christ, who died on your behalf. Have you cried out to him and asked him to save you? That's what he wants you to do. And a lot of times it's because of pride. I know when that message was first shared with me by my brother, I just, I thought he was a lunatic. I thought he was nuts. You know? And I remember saying to him very plainly, you know, we're Catholic. What are you talking about? You have to be saved. I remember saying that because I didn't get it. I thought it was all about a church. It's not about a church. This church or any other church, it's about a relationship with the living Lord. And he says here that people outside of Christ don't have that relationship. So they're going to seek after these things. That's why he says, for after all these things do the Gentiles seek. That word seek there has the idea that they seek after it with all their might because that's all they have and they're consumed by material gratification the bible says they're the kind of people that eat drink and be merry for tomorrow we die <laughs> grab all the gusto you can that's it can you imagine the child of god approaching life that way that's what jesus is saying that as a child of god this shouldn't be part of our life don't be like the gentiles don't be seeking after these menial things. You seek higher things. The Bible says set our hearts on things above. Philippians 4, 6, Paul commands us clearly, be anxious for nothing. In other words, don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. I mean, if you're not going to be willing to trust in God's goodness and his promises, you're missing the whole point of being a Christian. I mean, so many people in the churches today, they have this empty profession of faith. Oh, I love Jesus. I serve God. And then you look at their life and there's a disconnect. There's a major disconnect. And sometimes you can even point it out to them. You know, the Bible says this. That maybe drinking and carousing isn't the thing that a Christian should do. It actually says it's wrong. Wow, you're, you know, what do they throw at you? You're just being legalistic now. Okay. I'll be a legalist all day long if that's what being a legalist is. You're just saying what the Word of God says. And sometimes, you know what? We don't want to go there. Because we have our desire and we have our agenda and we know that if we go to that verse or we go to that portion of Scripture, it's going gonna, it's gonna to mess up our little party over here. And so our pride kicks in and says, ah, I'm just going to stay away from that. The Bible says that we are 
in the world, but we're not to be like the world. John 17, 15 says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus prayed for his disciples and he said, you know what? Don't take them out of the world. Leave them down here in this sin pit. Why? He says that you should keep them from the evil one. You remember earlier on in the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about us being what? The light of the world. All right, he talked of, about us being the salt of the earth. Okay, he left us here for a purpose. He didn't leave us here for the purpose of coming to church on Sunday and being all religious. That's not what the purpose is. The purpose is, you know what, go out, the four, out of these four walls and find somebody that's hurting, somebody who hasn't heard the gospel, somebody that just needs compassion and love and mercy and give it to them. That's why he left it us here because when we do that they're going to identify the love of Christ in our life and when they do that it gives us the opportunity to share the gospel message with them that's why we're here we're not here to be church people Romans 12 2 says do not be conformed to this world I talked to uh, uh, someone in youth ministry a couple weeks ago and they came back from Spirit West Coast down in Monterey big Christian event with all these bands. He sat me down and he said, have you been to this thing lately? Do you know what goes on there? I said, no, I've been in youth ministry in some years and from what I'm seeing, I don't want to go back uh, anytime soon, but tell me. He said, it's basically, it's the world with Christian garb on. He said, the bands, the music, probably 80% of what went on, garbage. He said, the world has taken this thing and just wrapped its arms around it. And, you know, you, you got people going to this thing. He said, the new thing now is young people, guys, are wearing women's jeans. Tight jeans. I don't know. I mean, I was just like, what? Yeah, that's the new thing. The Bible clearly says, do not be conformed to this world. What do we do? A majority of the church is doing just the opposite. They're conforming to the world. And that even affects the way we look at our circumstances. It affects the way we worry. It affects all those things. God has called us to separate. He called us out to be different. The Bible says that we're a peculiar people. You can say, I can identify with that. I have met some peculiar Christians. Yeah. I'm not talking weird here. I'm just talking different from the world. So don't get that mixed up. Ask yourself this question. Do I face life like a Christian or like a pagan? Do I face life like one who's trusted Christ or do I face life like a Gentile? When things are difficult or the future is insecure, how do you react? You know what? When you answer those questions, it's going to tell you a lot about how much you really trust God. You can sum it up this way. Does my life, does my Christian faith affect my view of life? Does it affect the way I live day in and day out? Because if it doesn't, beloved, and I tell you this in love, either you're not a Christian or you've denied the very essence of your faith. Ask yourself this question. Do I always place everything in the context of my faith? Every trial, every anticipation of the future, every present reality. Is it all under the umbrella of my faith, of my trust in God? He goes on and he says in verse 32, he says, for your heavenly father knows what? that you need all these things. 
See, that's the big difference between the gods of the heathen and our God. The gods of the heathen are dumb. They're ignorant. They're non-existent. They don't know anything. They can't help their people because they don't exist. You remember in the Old Testament, you remember in the New Testament, you know, uh, with, with Elijah and all that stuff in the Old Testament, you know, they're trying to appease their God and he's not listening. He starts making fun of them. Oh, maybe he's out the lodge. Where'd he go? Oh, we know that story. He doesn't exist. It's not there. It's a false God. But our God, the Bible says, knows everything. Our God transcends time. You know, with God, there's no future. There's no yesterday. He transcends time. With our God, everything is right now. Everything. If you believe that our God loves and cares, and you know the Bible says that he's omniscient, he knows everything. And if, if God knows your life and he knows your needs, and you know that he cares for you because that's what the Bible says, if he knows what your needs are and he cares for you, you know what? You're home free. Your heavenly Father, in contrast to the other gods of the pagans, knows what you need. That's what Jesus is saying. He not only has the knowledge, but he has the resources and the love to provide your needs. So what are you worrying about? What do you have to worry about? Jesus' answer is nothing. Don't worry about anything. Worry is unnecessary because of our Father. It's also uncharacteristic because of our faith. But it's also unwise because of our future. Look at verse 34. He says, Therefore... Do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow has enough worry of its own. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. What's the Lord saying here? The Lord's saying, don't worry about the future. The future is going to have trouble of its own. Just wait till you get into it. Don't worry about it. It's not going to do any good. Providing for tomorrow is good, but worrying about tomorrow is a sin. He's not saying, you know what, you shouldn't plan and you shouldn't save and, and you shouldn't have, you know, go to the grocery store and buy food. So, you know, you're not going to the, 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 the cupboard every day saying, oh, we have nothing to eat. He's not saying that. There's nothing wrong with that. God gives you the means to provide, then you provide. But God is the God of tomorrow, just like he's the God of today. Lamentations 3.23 says that his mercies are what? New every morning. He feeds us just like he fed the children of Israel. Just enough food for each day. Now, in our country, in our culture, we have the abundance of food. This week, my wife and I are saying, okay, we've got to eat all this stuff because we're going on vacation for a couple weeks and we don't want it to rot. So we're trying to empty the refrigerator. Last time I checked, the refrigerator's still pretty full. So... Wednesday night care group, you can have at it. You know, go for it. I don't know what's in there, but you probably won't want to eat it by Wednesday, that's for sure. But there's enough worrying about tomorrow going on, the future. You know, there's all this concern about the politics and, and you know, who's going to win the election? Oh, you know what? It's in God's hands. You go out and you vote your conscience, you vote as God leads you to do, and you leave it in God's hands. You know, there'll be a next, another president and there'll probably be another president after them unless the Lord comes back. It's not stuff to worry about. And it causes really a lack of joy in our life when we worry about these things. Fear is a liar. It will cause you to lose the joy of today. And what the Lord is saying is basically, you know, let tomorrow be for tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Just live in the grace of God day by day by day. The Bible says in Hebrews 13, 8, that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, what? 
today and forever. It means he's going to be doing the same thing tomorrow that he did yesterday. If you have any questions about the future, just look at the past. Even in your own personal life. Remember a time in your life, maybe you can think back, where you, know, you were just in the corner, you were up against the wall, you didn't know what to do, you were throwing your hands up, you were just wearing yourself sick. And today you look back at that and you're going, hey, you know what, I got through that. Maybe not the way I wanted to, but I got through it. I'm here today. It's good sometimes to look back and see how God has provided. John Stott said this, to become preoccupied with material things in such a way that they engross our attention, absorb our energy, and burden us with anxiety is incompatible with both the Christian faith and common sense. It's a distrust. It's, it is distrustful of our Heavenly Father, and it's frankly stupid. That's his quote, not mine. That is what the pagans do. But it is utterly unsuitable and unworthy ambition for Christians. See, we're not spiritual orphans, beloved. We have a Heavenly Father who loves us and cares for us. And he has all the resources at his disposal to meet all of our needs. Isaiah 26.3 says, That will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusts in who? Thee. And last here, he gives us a promise. In verse 33, he says, But seek first, what? The kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. In other words, get your thoughts on a divine level. Get your thoughts on God. Get them off of your present circumstances. Get them off of the trials you're going through. Get them off of the physical things. Get them on the spiritual things. That's why he throws that word but in there. But. In other words, rather. Rather than worrying about your life, rather than worry about these things, seek first the kingdom of God. And that idea of seeking first, it really means to seek first in a line of more than one option. I mean, we all have priorities in life. We all have a lot of things going on. All of our schedules are busy. And we could all probably sit around a table and justify why we're not going to be here on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a Friday night or a, or a Thursday Bible study with the ladies. We could all come up with a reason. And in our logic, we could say, well, yeah, I understand. It just shows your priorities. That's all it's doing. It's simply showing your priorities. What are we to seek first? He says there, seek first the kingdom of God. That word is, is basui in the Greek and it means Christ's rule, the rule of God, the reign of God, the dominion of God in our life. We should seek that which is eternal. When we looked at Matthew 6, 10, we're to pray, thy kingdom what? Come. We're to be lost in the kingdom of God. I, I like to quote uh, John MacArthur is being interviewed on a radio station and they, they turned the thing to, to uh, politics. You know anything about John MacArthur? He's not a real political guy. And they said, well, what do you think about the, you know, how often do you think about the election this fall? You know, it's a pretty big thing. You know, we've got judges at stake and, you know, abortion is an issue and all that stuff. Uh, you know, how much time do you spend? And he said, I don't even think I spend two seconds thinking about it. <sighs> I mean, there was repercussions across the Christian world. He said it has nothing it has absolutely nothing to do with the kingdom of God. At first I thought, oh, come on, <laughs> you know, that's a little crazy. Then I started thinking about it. I thought, you know what, it doesn't. It has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said clearly that he was a king. But what did he say? My kingdom is what? Not of this world. Now, he went on to say, hey, you know, you should go vote. You should do your Christian duty. You should do all that. 
But in the end, it has nothing to do with the kingdom of God. We're not going to usher in the kingdom of God through John McCain or Obama. Nothing to do with that. So we need to think about that. We need to put things in perspective. We're called to seek first the kingdom of God. And then he says there, and his righteousness. And what he's saying is don't chase money, chase holiness. Pursue it. He's talking about practical righteousness, holiness in our everyday life. See, I mean, some, some people spend all their time pursuing money, cars, the house on the hill, clothes, so forth and so on. And God says, you know what? I want you to pursue my kingdom and I want you to pursue righteousness. And then he gives us, in the end there, the care that's provided. He says, and all these things shall be added unto you. What do you do? That sounds kind of radical. You're not going to kind of live for yourself and kind of generate your own little thing down here, kingdom down here? No, we don't do that as believers. We're called to live for heaven. And when we do that, that doesn't mean we're going to be out on the street because he says there, all these things shall be added to you. What things? Food, clothing, shelter, and a future. According to Psalm 8411, if you walk uprightly, you will never have any need. God will take care of those who seek his kingdom and his righteousness. And you know what? Solomon provides for us an excellent illustration of that. He didn't pray for riches. He didn't pray for fancy clothes. He didn't pray for fancy food or a long life. He prayed for what? Wisdom. That's what he prayed for. And when he received wisdom, he received all the rest. If you worry, I want you to know this morning it's a sin. And you need to go before God and you need to confess it. Lord, I do worry. I, and we all worry. And we need to confess it on a continual basis. Lord, I know that worry is a sin and it's, it's a, showing a lack of trust in you. Help me to stop it. Help me to trust you more. Because it's unnecessary because of our Father. It's uncharacteristic because of our faith. And it's also unwise because of our future. Let's close in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we pray that as uh, you do the work through your word and in the hearts of your people, Lord, I don't know what burdens people brought into this place today. But Father, I pray that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're a God who can meet those needs. You can meet them right there in their, in their anxious hearts, right where they're sitting right now. And Lord, the first thing to, to get out of the way is what are they doing with your son? Have they trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior? Have they come to God and said, Lord, it's not about me. It is and it's not about me. It's about me because I know I'm a sinner. I have to address that. But Lord, it's about you. It's about what you want to do in my life. And God, I, I, I want to yield my life to you. God will answer that prayer. He'll, he'll come into your life in a way that's not scary and not weird, but he'll give you a thirst and a hunger to follow him, to follow his word. doesn't mean you're going to turn around to some radical person on a street corner with a 16-pound Bible. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about life transformation. We're talking about giving you new desires, allowing you for the first time in your life to pursue the things of God because he transformed your heart. If you're willing to trust him this morning, he'll do that for you. Just cry out to him. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Show me what I need to do. He'll do that. And as believers, I pray that we would repent of our untrusting attitude toward our Heavenly Father. We all do it, and we do it continually. 
Lord, it's sin. It needs to be called sin. And we need to turn away from it. And we need to cry out to you. And Lord, we thank you for your forgiveness. That you're always there for us. No matter what. Father, we pray that you would just bless your word to people's hearts. Give us a rest, a good weekend, and, and uh, an encouraging next week. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. All God's people say, Amen. Well, it is our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal his grace to your hearts through the teaching of his word each week. We trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area. If not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. If you'd like to encourage us here at Graceful Truth, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. This is our phone number, 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We've got a lot of resource materials available there, more information about who we are. And if you need a map to visit us at Grace Bible Church, that's there as well. Again, gracefultruth.org. And would you please drop us an email? Let us know you paid us a visit when you stop by. Again, gracefultruth.org. Or give us a call at 650-366-9923. Again, that's 650-366-9923. We thank you for joining us today and trust we'll see you again next week at this same time for another broadcast of Graceful Truth. 